Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 41. Um, if anyone would like to follow in the church Bible, it's on page 1093. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb. He's here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what is to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Thanks, Linz. Let's pray. Father, give us um, ears to listen to what you have to say to us. Uh, give us hearts that will understand it and grasp it and give us the courage to respond to you this morning and in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's nothing more tragic than missing the point. Um, it's something I've done many times over the years, um, in my teenage years in particular, um, I was 
often a bit slow on the uptake with sometimes painful results, uh, socially speaking. More than once, I ended up looking a right idiot. Um, and the worst of it, of course, is that the reality of, of a situation or the thing that something that someone said may well be something that's really good, but if you've misheard or misunderstood, then you can come to kind of false conclusions or worse still, you can react uh, inappropriately. Now, if you're looking uh, or hoping for a specific example from the files of Joe's most embarrassing moments, um, I'm gonna disappoint you this morning, um, <laughs> but maybe you can relate. Um, <laughs> too many to think of. Um, maybe you can think of one of those times when you just got the wrong end of the stick and by the time you got the kind of the right end of it it was just too late now for peter in this story that we just heard lens read from acts 2 um if, if you want to follow along see the context it's there what did you say 1093 there you go the bible's on the ncps he was attempting to help a large crowd of these jews gathered in jerusalem for Pentecost, to understand just how they'd missed the point when it came to Jesus. And it was tragic, really, because Jesus was the very person. He was the very one that they had been longing for. The whole of Israel as a nation had been oriented for hundreds, if not thousands of years, to looking for, to waiting for God's promised Messiah, the, the, the rescuer, the deliverer, the king. And in a sense, the fact that the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem had had crucified the very one that they'd been waiting for. Well, it, obviously, we know in the bigger picture it adds up because, as Peter explains to the crowd in this reading, it was what was destined to happen. Uh, verse 23, he talks about Jesus being handed over to them by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge to be put to death by being nailed to the cross. So, yes, Jesus came to be killed. There was a broader picture for that. But, you know, to miss the point about Jesus and who he was before he was crucified was tragic, perhaps the greatest injustice in history, the perfect loving creator God himself crucified for our sins, for the punishment that we deserved. But then Peter's job in this moment is to give the crowd, numbering thousands, a second chance to understand who Jesus is and how life, their lives, their history was all about him. Now, the series that we're doing this term, which we've called Gathered, What's the Church For? Um, we sort of said early on, we might have called it more bluntly, Church, What's the Point? Um, is all about understanding the church. And we're going back to these formative days of the church, the weeks following the death and resurrection of this man, Jesus, uh, starting out with a pretty shaky group of followers who were somehow transformed into people who profoundly shaped the world as we know it today. Some of you may have uh, read or come across Tom Holland's book, Dominion, which spells out, um, not particularly from a Christian perspective, but just how much European society and the values it is built upon come from this man, Jesus, and the movement that his friends started. In fact, somebody gave me a, a, a similar book uh, this week, um, a similar subject by an Aussie vicar called Glenn Scrivener, um, who I've only met once when he cleaned up my stumps in a game of cricket first ball, which we narrowly lost. Not that it still hurts. Um, but I like his work and I, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, I haven't read it yet, so I can't technically recommend it, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, and the, the truth is that people don't realize today that our society, our culture, our values really come 
from Jesus' teaching. This man who lived 2,000 years ago. And yet, people do not understand who Jesus is. And for the most part, they've never really thought about it. He remains just kind of one of many pseudo-mythical characters, a, a familiar name, a familiar exclamation, a familiar winter festival, but virtually unknown in any depth or often totally misunderstood. And it's easy to do that. And yet there's nothing more tragic than missing the point. And there's nothing more tragic than missing the point when it comes to Jesus, because we have everything to gain from knowing him. I'm just going to take a look at how Peter addresses this situation with the crowd. You'll remember, um, if you are here last week, that the, we've got this multinational crowd who are gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And while they're there, the Holy Spirit turns up in power. We looked at this last Sunday. It's the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament, prophets of God pouring out his spirit on all peoples and ushering in this new kind of kingdom, this new kind of way for people to relate to God. And this outpouring of the spirit manifests itself in the disciples speaking all the different languages of this crowd. So this kind of grabs the crowd's attention and gets them asking what, what's going on here. And now Peter's got their attention. This is what he says to them. So a couple of points worth noting. Verse 22, Peter assumes that there is no question in the crowd's mind that Jesus was an actual man. He was someone that, who everyone was aware of. In fact, many of them had met him both before and after his crucifixion. And he says here that they, he, Jesus performed miracles, wonders and signs which God did among them through him, as you yourselves know. All in verse 22 there. So in fact, this also doesn't seem to be in dispute. There's no sense of sensation. There's a sensational claim by Peter that there's controversy over the idea that Jesus, this man, performed the miraculous. It's just assumed. And of course, that, you know, that was never the problem that the religious leaders had with Jesus. They didn't think he was a fraud. Nobody believed he was a fraud. If he had been, it probably would have been much easier to deal with him. But he was known far and wide as a healer of people. And even the stories that we do know about would have left hundreds, if not thousands of people healed directly by him. You know, so, many, so many people would have known uh, or known someone who would have known someone or known of someone who Jesus had healed or restored in a profound way. But where the crowd is stuck are, are his, is, is his, his identity. Because in their image, the image of the Messiah was a king like David, which meant somebody, a national figure ruling over the nation of Israel, which as we uh, have already seen last week again we, we was missing the point if you um have missed out on other parts of this series and you're interested you should be able to go back um on on soundcloud and and catch up with them i know i think it was a little delay getting them up but they should be going up soon so it's to david's words that peter goes because they're thinking uh, a king in the mold of david so he quotes two of david's psalms um where he writes about Ray, uh, david writes about uh, his body not decaying and being raised from the dead. David had said his hope is in God because, quote, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy one see 
decay. Peter explains that David wasn't talking about himself in these verses. He was talking about uh, his heir, this future promised king. David wasn't just a a sort of poet king. He was a prophet. And much of what he wrote found its fulfillment in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So Peter kind of gently drives his home drives home his point by pointing people to the kind of reality that David over a thousand years on is still dead and buried. Um, In fact, his tomb was nearby so they could go and see it. So, you know, he couldn't have been talking about himself when he said that his body will not see decay because they could have gone and and checked. I haven't been, but um, on its annual open day, I understand that you can go and visit the Kilmory Mausoleum just at the end of Northcote Road. Put your hand up if you've been there. So, so some people, okay, it's just at the end of the road behind that big wall, um, which is the, the Earl of Kilmory built this for himself nearly 200 years ago for himself and his favourite mistress, um, Priscilla uh, Anne Host. And uh, Jess and the boys popped in last year. Uh, they went in and the guy on duty shut them in, um, which they didn't really appreciate um, very much. <laughs> I think the boys chewed him out pretty good for that. Anyway, the point is the Earl of Kilmory is dead and buried. And you can go and see him <laughs> if you want. His body is decaying. Um, and Peter is making the point that the same was true of David, but crucially not of Jesus. So David was talking about somebody other than himself. And it's Jesus' resurrection that is key to the whole thing it's the linchpin of the whole narrative Um, if he hadn't died and risen again then sin isn't defeated forgiveness isn't possible David's prophecies remain unfulfilled and goodness knows what this power was that was sort of suddenly transformed these terrified disciples into confident multilingual preachers but it wasn't God's spirit and this is this is the moment this is the occasion where the Original witnesses who had walked and lived with Jesus for three years state their lives on the truth that he was raised from the dead and that he was exactly who he said he was. And there's a lot in this series that will hopefully help us understand what the church is and what it's for. We've watched the disciples waiting together and while they waited, they worshipped and prayed they waited for the gift of the spirit we talked about the importance of the gift of the spirit and we'll see them as we go spreading this message of salvation as jesus said through judea samaria to the ends of the world and you know today's story itself will end with them growing from this small group of jews about 120 of them into a multi-ethnic movement and the story will go on with them continuing to impact and change the world even the roman empire which viciously persecuted them for the first few centuries of their existence but the one thing that the church is all about right at the center right at the very start is jesus it's all about him it's all for him it's all through him it all hangs on him this is what the crowd came to realize as peter spoke having trouble with my pages today i don't know why i say talk amongst yourself but don't because i'll never get your attention again right peter um the people luke says are cut to the heart and peter and the apostles um they, they come to peter and the apostles and they say well what should we do 
What should we do with this information? Um, it all comes together. They realize who Jesus is and they respond in repentance. You know, repentance is what happens at the moment that we realize that Jesus is king and I am not. That's the natural way to respond. And Peter says, repent and be baptized, this is verse 37. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. And that day, over 3,000 people accept Peter's explanation and are baptized into the way of Jesus. So I heard some research the other day saying that the two words that people are most likely to use to describe Christians today are narrow-minded and hypocritical. Um, Perhaps there are some good reasons for that, perhaps not. But the whole point about the church is understanding that it's not about us. It's about Jesus. You know, the truth is that we are weak failures, pale imitations of him. In fact, it's our sin and our failure that qualify us to come to Jesus. That's the qualifying criteria. That's what he's looking for. Sinful failure, weak people. But this is kind of what I want to tell people. You know, of course church is a mess. We're messy people. (laughs) There's nothing special about us except that we belong to him. We're his. And in that same survey, and I I always treat these numbers with caution because I don't know the context exactly from where they came from, but 32% of responders said that they were interested in knowing more about Jesus, which is up from 20% in 2015. So that means 50% more people are interested in knowing more about Jesus today than seven years ago. So how do we start explaining to them who Jesus is? How do we do what Peter did and speak to people about Jesus in a way that they can understand within the framework that they have for life. Now this could be a whole sermon series in itself. You know, we could um, talk about the evidence for Jesus and his death and resurrection that many people from all walks of life, judges and scientists have been persuaded by. But I'm not sure that's the starting point for people today when they want to think about Jesus. And we could certainly talk about the concept of um, kind of lordship and Jesus being lord of our lives in a world where the highest value is be true to yourself, which, by the way, is a line adapted from Hamlet, right, in which the context is it's not being offered as good advice. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. So around that whole question of what is it that ultimately fulfills us? But I think a a good place for us just to go back to is this idea that I mentioned at the start, that the teachings of Jesus, considered utterly unique and original, are the fundamental bedrock of the societal values that have shaped this country and many other Western democracies for centuries. Things like the rights of the individual or the sanctity of life. It's from the teaching of Jesus that many of these values have come and are considered to be the greatest framework for a healthy society that have ever been taught. And I think people widely get that, actually. But the problem is, is they end up thinking of Jesus as a wise teacher or a wise moral guide. And yet, he claimed to be God. And this creates a tension, doesn't it? This is how 
C.S. Lewis described that tension in the words of his famous uh, trilemma. This is what he wrote. Not sure if you can read that, but if it helps you follow along. You can. Um, so this is what he said. I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That's Jesus. Um, I'm ready to accept that Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic. Sorry. <laughs> I won't go back and read that all. Um, <laughs> now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic or nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he is, that he was and is God. Those are some words that he spoke in some famous um, uh, sort of uh, pieces that he spoke on the radio and then were, became part of the book Mere Christianity. It's the whole mad, bad or God argument or, or sometimes called sort of liar, lunatic or Lord. And the truth is, as Lewis says, that everyone has to accept that Jesus is or was one of those three things. So can we hold attention that our greatest moral teachings and framework for societal values come from a madman or someone who is pure evil? Because those are the options. And if not, like the 3,000 on that day of Pentecost, the only option left open to us is to repent and to be baptized, to bow the knee and to say that Jesus is Lord. And it's all about him. There's nothing more tragic than, me to, than missing the point. So what is the point of the church? Jesus is the point. Jesus is the center of it all. It starts and ends with him. And that question, what is the church for, is linked inseparably with the question of who Jesus is. And, you know, there's so much that we can make church all about. You know, vicars are the worst at this, by the way. There's so much that we make too important. But the bottom line is there's nothing more important than Jesus. Now, if that sounds cliched, it's because it's been the case for 2,000 years now. And usually when things go badly in the church, it's because the church has forgotten that truth that it's all about Jesus. And when things go well, well, usually the church is putting Jesus front and center collectively and as individuals in our lives as we live as if, as if Jesus is the risen king. So why don't we take a moment to pray?